The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. everyone nice to have you on board for episode 51 of the boys of tech for monday the 1st of february 2010 my name is edwin herman my co-host is brett king welcome along brett uh hello brett i didn't see you at the acdc concert no the ticket prices were a little out of my price range look i was working there <laughs> you got to see it for free. Well, I got to see parts of it for free. Not the whole thing, obviously. I mean, you got to hear it for free. Oh, oh, yeah, well, so, so did most of Wellington Central. <laughs> well, yes, indeed. <laughs> so, yeah, I heard it about eight, uh, from places eight kilometers away. Mm-hmm. It was incredibly loud. You could hear it incredibly clearly from up in Kelvin. It's unbelievable. I'm sure yep. there's a lot of deaf people out there. Only 50 arrests. Uh, and out of what would have been, I'd say, 58,000 people over two nights, that's not mm-hmm. too bad. Yeah. I was selling merchandise. Doing one of the things you do on the side. Yeah, one of the, yeah, moonlighting. <laughs> Tell you what, 16-hour days on your feet all day is... Uh, It'd be painful. It's a lot of work. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. yeah well, <laughs> it was. The next day I was a bit of a write-off, not just from being tired, but from actually having sore legs and sore feet. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, I guess we should get into the show then. Uh, look, the the bigger story that slowed down Twitter so much that there was an eight to nine minute delay on Twitter as it tried to catch up. Yes, the giant, the giant announcement from Apple. Yeah, the yes, iPad. Indeed, the the, the iPod Maxi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could call it that. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yes. Well, you the know, iPad. The, well, mm. I've <laughs> I have to say after the announcement seeing the the um the Steve Jobs doing the keynote, the keynote and the reading the specs and then the different reviews and different talk after it, I have to say I've only ever been more underwhelmed for a product once before. That was after finally seeing the Blair Witch Project when it came out. Oh, it's the yeah. only thing that has <laughs> underwhelmed me more <laughs> than what I was anticipating from Apple for their tablet. Well, that's pretty bad. Why are you so underwhelmed? I was expecting more. I was expecting something, you know, relatively revolutionary. Okay, before we go into the details, let, just- let me say let me say that a, a lot of it, it's had mixed response. It's certainly missing a bunch of stuff, which we're going to talk about soon, but it seems to do well in other areas. So let's talk about what you're not happy about. What were you expecting to see in the iPad? More. <laughs> really, I was expecting something quite different from just a iPod, iPod Touch, iPhone oversized, which it's is basically it's what a, it's it is. A, it's, it's an, an iPhone. It's, it's an oversized iPhone. Yeah, it's an oversized iPhone that won't have 3G to start with, but will have 3G later on. But as you said, it's missing a whole heap of different hardware features to it. And the claims that they were making, that Steve was making in his keynote, just there are too many 
voids in the iPad for it to actually be as great a device at the things that he was claiming it to be the greatest device for. That's just my, you know, that's my, my reaction to, to what I've seen so far. Okay, so it's missing a camera? It doesn't have a camera. So for a web-enabled device, not having a camera so that you can do video chats yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah, look, I'll agree with that. I think, I think they need to bring out, a, they need to include a camera. And I, look, yeah, I, I and it needs what, to be they, built into the thing. Yeah. It, doesn't, it, it shouldn't be an extra add-on piece no. of equipment that you no. have to buy and plug in. No, I agree. It should be built in, like it's like the I, on the iMac. Memory. Sorry, it's missing expandable memory. There's no for a web-enabled tablet device. It should have some sort of expandable memory. The memory options you get on it uh, to begin with the three, you know, the three, the three waves, sixteen, thirty-two, and sixty-four, is just not enough. Oh, uh, storage. Yeah. Well, do you think? Yeah. What are you when you can when you get a netbook that comes with 160. <laughs> when Steve Jobs was doing his keynote, he said netbooks they don't really do anything better than a laptop. I, he was referring to a, you know comparing it to a laptop. Yes, and neither does the iPad. And you will find you that don't think so. I, I tell you what the iPad I tell you what the, more than the iPad does. I tell you what the iPad it's, does a lot better. It's, it's got a very it's nice a, user interface. Well, yeah, okay. Aside from that. It's, it's a lot lighter and it's a lot thinner. So it does what you want for a tablet. When you want to use it as a tablet, it, it does a tablet very well. What it doesn't do is, of course, it doesn't convert into a laptop, but it's not meant to be. It's meant to be an iPad. The iPhone is meant to be an iPhone. An iPod is meant to be an iPod and a laptop is meant to be a laptop. And I guess that's their view. Yes, but it's not a niche product. What is it? It's, oh, it could have been so much more. Well, look, say you're a salesperson, a traveling salesperson, you want to show off some photos to someone. You don't, you don't want to bring like, your laptop. You could still have your laptop around, but you're not going to lug that you around to lug door around to door. You, you, that's where you store your work emails and so on. You want to show off some products. You want a nice, sleek photo display system. Bring your iPad. Get your Toshiba netbook slate. It's heavier, bulkier. Slightly. But then you can do so much more with it. Yeah, sure. For your traveling salesman, you just want to show some photos and read some books when you're sitting on the plane. Maybe the iPad is, is the product for you. But th- that's not a tablet. That's a promotional thing for carrying around and reading books. It's a big Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> it's an expensive Kindle. Okay, what, okay so it's missing it's, expandable storage. It's missing expandable storage. It's missing uh, a camera. I agree with you, the, the camera. Definitely. Uh, and... And I don't know how Steve managed to keep a straight face in his keynote saying that it was the best way to browse the internet when it suffers from the same flaw that iPod touches and iPhones have when they browse the internet. And that is, it doesn't support Flash. Yeah. For crying out loud. Yep, I agree. It's, that's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's like, it, how many websites do you go to in a day that don't use Flash in some way? Yeah, Flash is in a lot of places. Just to clarify something, when you browse YouTube on this, it uses the HTML5 plugin, I think H264 codec, so you're mm-hmm. fine. But yeah, you're right. It, it, notwithstanding that, it's still missing Flash. Why? It's missing Flash. Why? Exactly. If it had that, then at least it would be See, capable I, I, of being a brilliant platform for viewing the web. Yeah, but look, it doesn't. I, uh, I'm Why? Not, I'm, 
<laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you. It's missing expandable storage. I, uh, yeah, I, I could buy that. It definitely is missing a camera. It's missing flash. I'm not disagreeing with that. Uh, I've got mixed feelings about the whole thing. I'm kind of like the the media right now. I've kind of got some good points that I, I think this is fantastic. I've, and I've got some ideas about how it's missing stuff. And we've just mm, talked about that. Indeed it is. It's got some great points to it. As you were saying, it is thin. It is light. It's got all of the Apple trademark, you know, shiny, sexy glory appeal to it. But it's just lacking in certain fundamental areas which you would expect a tablet to have. Now, my guess, I could be wrong, but my prediction is that the second generation one will come with a a camera. Mm Mm-hmm. Not sure about Flash yet. I can't. It's too difficult to make any predictions about that. I don't know what they were thinking. But as in terms of the hardware, I, I think it will come with a with a camera. And I guess by the time we get to second generation, you will get more storage. The first set of second generation ones will actually be when we get the the ones that are three G capable. Three G. Well, three G's international is three uh, G's due out in June apparently. Hmm. So maybe that one will come with a built in <laughs> webcam for crying out loud. At the very least. <laughs> But ah, oh, it could have. I was expecting so much more. The hype. I <laughs> should not have bought into the hype. Should not have thought that Apple, being as revolutionary as they are with their products, would come out with something revolutionary in the tablet. So you were expecting some some new stuff, really. I was expecting exactly what Steve was talking about in the difference between a smartphone and a laptop. That middle ground. What we have here is the iPhone bigger. So we have a bigger smartphone with less capabilities than an iPhone, but a bigger, prettier screen and the ability to, and a new bookstore, which was one yeah, of the, the biggest, yeah, that's right. the biggest the, things yeah, for announced, yeah, the iBook, I, the iBook app. Yeah, we, yeah you, the iBook app with the iBook store, which goes behind it. And yeah, those were what I got as the, the biggest things for it. Everything else is the iPhone bigger. So would you be happy if it had a camera? I'd be happy if it had a camera. I would be... Flash and flash? Yes. Then it would be more of a tablet sort of thing. But even then, it's... Because mm. what else is the other, the new thing, the, the new different thing which the iPhone and iPod Touch don't have, and that's the new, the iWorks for iPad. Yeah, and I guess that's what, what, what he's, one of the things he's alluding to when he talks about the middle ground. You can't run those apps successfully yeah, on it. It uses... Oh, I'm just, oh, I'll have to wait till I see first reviews of people actually attempting to write anything with it. Well, it's Typing with the on-screen keyboard. Well, the on-screen keyboard is nearly uh, life-size. Nearly life-size, but if it's anything like the iPhone and iPod touch keyboard, the delay is still quite noticeable. And anybody who's a touch typist might find that delay, delayed response of the, the touch interface being quite annoying. And they've already announced in that initial thing, you know, you can get an external keyboard for it, but yeah, it comes the as the dock. Yeah. But it only allows you to dock at portrait. So you can dock at portrait and use the, the external dock keyboard, or you can turn it landscape and use the on-screen keyboard. You can't have it land. Oh, I see. You can't have, you can't have And it. use the external keyboard. Right. Unless they've got some sort of cable thing. Maybe they'll have some sort of cable thing which allows you to plug it in. Who knows? It's an extra <laughs> addition that you have to pay. <laughs> 
So I think in the last, last podcast... Just like the camera and the, the external hard drive part. It'll all be external add-ons, which... No, I, I think... Well, who knows? But I think the camera will come. And I, I just said that. I think the camera will come. I think it's... You know what? I if, if you look back to the very first iPhone, it was missing a bunch of stuff. Mm, it was and, indeed. you know, the second generation you know, brought in a, 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 a whole bunch of stuff. And then the third generation, I, I, I get the two upgrades mixed up. But the, the, the 3G third, the third and the 3GS. One, yeah, the third one brought, yeah, was it three, yeah. Better video camera, cheaper. Right. Yeah. And you, yeah, better, better camera, cheaper, and you could do video with it. So I, the, the, what I'm predicting is that the same thing's going to happen with the iPad, that they've released but something. why? That's, that's yeah. the point. Why? Why not they now? They did generation 3GS of the iPhone. They learned all of the mistakes, all of the things their customers wanted in their phone from the previous generations. They put them in. Why did they not take that? Well, they put some that, of them in. It's, of it's got, and it's, put it directly into the iPad straight away. Well, they put some of them in. It's got copy-based. <laughs> That's only because it's running the same iPhone OS as the latest iPhone 3GS. Tell you what, I, I like the iBook uh, interface, you know, the where they show you the... The interface is... A, a, a virtual bookshelf, wooden bookshelf. Indeed. Apple does user interfaces brilliantly. Yeah, okay. Done so there's no user interfaces for a long time, and they just make the user interfaces more and more pretty and more and more, you know, easy to use. My biggest, yeah, issues with it is we get into the same lockdown sort of development system environment as the iPhone and the iPod Touch, which is a completely different kettle of fish for developers, and it's just lacking some fundamental things that an internet-connected tablet device should have had from the get-go. Which is why I was so very underwhelmed. You're not the only person. I'm <laughs> mean, disappointed. Lot, yeah, well, you're not the only person. A lot of people are saying the same thing, that it's basically just a giant iPhone. Mm. Or in, for the other the model without the, the, the phone capability, a giant iPod Touch. So you're not the only one saying that. But, you know, the, it, it does seem that uh, if you scout around the, the blogs and the, the reviews... And you know, I haven't reviewed one one yet. There, we're not going to get any in the country anytime soon. Mm. Uh, the you know, it, it seems reasonably mixed. There, there's definitely strong criticism, that's for sure. But uh, yeah. you know, I'd say that the, the reviews are fairly mixed. And I think, uh, what you know, what one of the things though that that I I've always remembered when I was looking at some of these reviews is the comment that it's it's fairly underwhelming when you when you see it demoed until you actually get to use it and put it into practice. It actually serves a great purpose and you feel that when you use it. So I don't know. I, I think um, it's, it's a matter of perhaps just using one yourself. In fact, you said last, last uh, episode that you'd, you'd possibly consider an Apple tablet. Now, would you, <laughs> seeing what you're seeing now, is this, uh, this isn't going to cut it? No, I'm not going to get Generation 1 iPad. It's missing too many things. I, I'd still go and, you know, have a look at the latest generation of the new Pine Tree Intel Atom-based netbooks. What do you think about the, the whole idea of a tablet being a tablet and not a tablet and an, a laptop in one? So you either have a, a laptop or a tablet, or you might have both, but you, you, you either use a tablet when you want to do tablety things on the road, on the go, whatever, or on the couch, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, well, or, and, and you use a laptop when you want to use... I think they're basically, they are the same sort of things. Well, it's exactly the same niche that a netbook was for. It's that internet-connected appliance for browsing the web and basically doing those on-the-go sort of office tasks, word processing, 
PowerPointy sort of things for, you know, as you said, that, that salesman who's going around doing a presentation, showing photos, showing a, you know, a, a PowerPoint or something to presentation, um, using a tablet. That's kind of the niche. And that's the same thing that the netbook is for. There is that whole skewing of, well, a lot of people not understanding the difference between a laptop and a netbook and the purposes of them. The netbook and the tablet are have a very much same sort of purpose. They've just well, I, I think you know what I tablets think? have not tablets have not come out in the same sort of cheap sort of net connected device marketplace yet. And they've always been, you know, tablets have been around for ages, but they've always been those high end business sorts of things. And they've always been incredibly expensive and packed full of things that you didn't need because they were trying to bridge the gap between a laptop and a tablet and just wasn't. And so you'd end up with those swivel slate things, which were a laptop that you could swivel around and then have a tablet. And what it really needed was to just get into this sort of direction. But, ugh. Well, what I think Steve Jobs is saying now is who, who needs a netbook? It's, well, it's, now, it's now a mobile device, like, you know, a phone device, a smartphone. It's a tablet and it's a laptop and a desktop and that's all we need. Well, he hasn't said those words, but I'm wondering whether, you know, reading between the lines, that's effectively what he's saying. Who needs a netbook? Well, that's quite right. The netbook and the tablet should fill that same sort of gap. And if there were any really good tablets out there to take the place of a netbook, then that's what you'd get. But as, but I am, yeah, the, the iPad is just underwhelming in that, in that niche. Any netbook is going to have more functionality than what the iPad has for being a net-enabled on-the-road device. If you took all of the guts and stuff that people, have, um, the companies are building into their netbooks and put it in a tablet platform, you would have what the iPad should have been. And that's what I was expecting. Yeah, I was be, expecting it'd be that, three, it'd be, except better. It'd be three times as thick and twice as heavy. No, it wouldn't. Let's give it credit where credit's due. It is very thin. It's half an inch thin. It's it is. 13 it is. millimeters. They, uh, and I'm, only weighs, I'm not going to fault them at all on only the, one and a half the pounds. development and the work they've put into the hardware inside to get that thing so small and still get it. You know, they've got their, their new A4, one gigahertz chip in there to run the whole damn thing that they designed, that Apple, you know, got designed specifically for the iPad. But then they missed out on all of the other bits of hardware that should have been in the tablet. The webcam. There's a no-brainer. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what they have in here. a net-enabled web device. Yeah, yeah I, look, I agree. I'm not, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I agree. It should have had a camera. And I and think, and, like I, and as I said, I'm sure it will. Some variety. Because people will get the 16 gig one because it's the cheapest. You know, it's really cheap. It is. For, it is a very good price. price. It is a very good price point. And people will get that one. And then they will end up with a bunch of books on it their music on it, some downloaded movies, and they will be out of space and they will be berating themselves for the tiny amount of space in this device. Yeah, 16 gig is, is not a lot, especially if you're doing movies. Exactly. Or if and you've we got a lot that, of photos. We saw that um, transition in netbooks, which from the solid state ones, which you know had four gig up to 32-odd gig worth of solid state inside them. And then people started shoving hard drives in them because, because they were net-enabled devices for watching movies and 
doing web chat and all all those different things, carrying your music around, doing presentations, all of that sort of stuff, they just put more and more space in them. And as a net-enabled device, you should have the ability to have more space. And for something like the tablet, a memory card slot of some variety so that you can slot in your extra 16 gig memory card when you've got some movies and then take it out and put in another one. Well, I'll tell you who is a fan of the iPad, who is probably one of the least likely people to have been a fan, and that's Bruce Simpson. In his blog, he's actually said that he thinks it's a great idea. And he actually says in brackets, this might surprise you. A lot of people have been asking, what, how would you use this device? Like, okay, it's a giant iPhone. Why, how would you use it? What's the, you know, give me a scenario. And, and Bruce reckons that one of, you know, how he'd use it is he'd have it there in the workshop with him uh, instead of technical manuals and so on. And workbench space is, <laughs> you know, at a premium when mm-hmm. you're actually in a busy workshop. And you'd have it just standing there, you know, vertically against the window or something, uh, not taking up a lot of space at all, tiny little mm-hmm. f- footprint. And he'd have his technical manuals there. And when he ever needs to refer to, you know, look something up, uh, you know, he just, uh, you know, does what he yeah. needs to on it. Yeah. That's one thing. The other thing I can see that's really good is on the couch. You know, at the, th- th- there's nothing worse than trying to use a laptop on a couch. Oh yeah, yeah, it's that, horrible. It's horrible. Absolutely then, then horrible. Yeah. <laughs> this is I th- this is I think getting the a, a little more comfortable. Not, yeah, yeah, there's we cannot fault the form factor of the tablet. The tablet has been something which has long overdue in the marketplace. So you're talking about so, so what you can fault is the features and the, what I can fault the is the specs. features on it. The the features that it is missing. The no-brainer it should have been there. There's so much out there already which has those features by default and they are well used and well loved features in that niche and it doesn't have them ah well <laughs> okay you're, you're not <laughs> it's, getting it's one it's gone then. <laughs> from the device that had it had those different things would have been an almost no brain purchase for me into I'm now going to have to wait for the third generation or whatever it is until they finally stick the camera in and give it some expandable memory Okay, so no, no, no and Apple iPad no, for you. Maybe loosen up their development environment so that I can, you know, actually install other stuff on it or develop other things for it. Well, you can download the software development kit and where you go. Oh yeah, but everything that everything else that you get is going to have to come directly through the App Store, which is a great. Oh, I don't see that as a problem, to be <sighs> honest. Uh, closed off, closed off environments are just, yeah. But look how successful the App Store is. Oh yeah. It's very successful. There's some cool stuff. I mean, in there. It doesn't mean that people can't develop for it. It just means that when they go to sell, they go through that channel. I mean, and the developer sets the price. It's easier to find stuff. To, to be honest, for my, when I had a Windows machine, I'd rather that had been the case. You know, when I'm looking for a piece of shareware or something that does such and such, it's a mission to find. If mm-hmm. I go to one store, now sure, there are aggregators like CNET Downloads and a whole bunch of other places that make it a little easier. But it's, again, they're just directories. You, you know, you, they take you to the site and you have to read up there. You know, it's not, I don't know. I don't, I don't, well, each to their own, but I don't see that as a problem. I'll tell you what, some people are predicting that Apple's going to revolutionize the way tablets are done just as they did for smartphones. Do you believe that? Uh, no. But you think they'll be out there on their own doing this weird giant iPhone thing and everyone else will be doing what they have, well, I think, well, we've had, as, a, as I've said, we've had tablets for a long, long time. We've had tablets for many years. They've just been in a, an overpriced, overpowered niche uh, for the business who could afford it and were 
purchasing these devices, which did way more than they really needed to do, you know, had the capability of way more than what a tablet really needs to do. And that's why they've had this expensive niche where they should have been a much more, you know, cheaper consumer level product for doing the sorts of things that the iPad can do. But it, it's not revolutionary. It's not as revolutionary as I was anticipating from all of the predictions. I <laughs> uh, just, you know, should not buy into hype. Should have not read anything about what the Apple tablet could have been because then I would probably have been raving about this brand new product had I not read other people's predictions of, you know, speculation of what it will have on it because of Apple's track record and because of what is currently out there in that sort of area. I'll tell you what I'm surprised about is that they actually announced the iPad because you know people leading up to it were saying, oh, Apple's going to announce a tablet. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So how many times before have we seen this or how many times before have we seen something similar? Apple are going to release XYZ and of course it never happens mm-hmm. because you know either Apple were going to and change their mind because people knew about it or they it was just never it was just a complete rumor. Yeah. But this time it was like for a, a couple of weeks leading up to it, it was like in a couple of weeks Apple is going to announce the Apple tablet and I'm like yeah whatever. But it <laughs> it actually happened and that surprises well, like, me. Well, it kind of surprises me, but also there were just far too many clues to the fact that Apple was developing something. You can and it would almost certainly be something tablet-like because of all of the different, you know, all the different pieces of equipment shipments from manufacturers which Apple had bought up. Yeah, that usually and, gives it away, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like a, a whole bunch of these brilliant large nine-something-inch screens. Suddenly, the entire shipments were all bought up by Apple. <laughs> you know something's going on there. Yeah, it's a bit like a colleague of mine. So either Apple was actually finally creating a netbook, which they have always said they would never do, <laughs> or they were creating a tablet. So you know, you can these predict. Yeah, you're right. You can, by looking at what companies are buying and what orders have got, you can kind of work out what, what they're doing. I tell so you we what, knew they I, had some device that they were going to be announcing, and we were pretty certain it wasn't going to be a netbook because <laughs> um, they don't like netbooks at Apple. They don't seem to. No. No. So <laughs> okay, I tell you what. Netbooks have been that niche that an, a, t- a tablet should have had. All right, I tell you what, let's leave the iPad story for now because uh, a lot of our listeners online will be listening to this and listening to perhaps a bunch of other podcasts as well and blog. And everything will be talking about the iPad at the moment. (laughs) So I'll leave the iPad there. We've done it. So uh, I want to move on to uh, what Google wants to do. And they want to basically change the way DNS works. They they want to be able to basically when a, a machine queries an address, it talks to a DNS server and says, "Hey, what's the you know IP address for such and such a name?" And that goes and look, you know goes to to wherever it needs to to look it up. What the remote end doesn't see is who's actually asking. It doesn't know who's asking. And so what hmm. Google want to do is change the DNS protocol to be able to say, "Okay, you want to know the address for such and such name? Who's asking?" And if, you know, depending on who's asking, you might give a different answer. This, this would be useful in situations where you want to distribute services geographically. So your computer might be wanting to know who's mail.google.com. And depending on where you are, it might give you a different IP address. If you're in the New Zealand, Australia region, it might give you an IP address of some, you know, the Google Mail server down this end of the world. Mm-hmm. If you're in Europe, it'll 
uh, it would choose to respond with a with a server in, in the U- European continent. So, what do you think? Obviously, the intention is to help with, uh, you know, the different bottlenecks, response speeds, not clustering up, you know, cluttering up the internet with traffic which doesn't need to be going to places. Because as you said, it, if you're sitting here in New Zealand and you're using a DNS server which is in Australia and when you request a page and it heads to Australia and then the Australian DNS server then sends out elsewhere and it gets back the piece of information, the other thing which is giving back the information to the DNS server that you're connected to obviously thinks you're in Australia. And so it gives you whatever is closest to there. And so what they are wanting is, yeah, so that more localization. It's... I think it makes sense. It's quite a big change. The only thing I'll say about this, though, is it really is up to the DNS system, well, each individual DNS server, to actually implement that. Because the, what I'm getting at is they could lie, you know. So if I'm a yeah. D, if I'm a DNS server, and I'm looking up an address on behalf of a computer connected to me. The remote system will say, oh, okay, you want to know such and such. Well, who's asking? Well, I can say, well, I'm just, it's just me. I'm asking. Yeah. You know, I could mask the address of my client. And Precisely. Some, some yes. web proxies do that. Some of them forward the address. They say, for example, some web proxies will say, you know, I want to go get this page from, from your server, please. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's actually not for me. It's for this guy over here. Other proxies don't actually do that. They say, I want to get this page and it's it's just for me. It's, if it's not for anyone else, it's just for me. Yeah. So it, it really will, it will work, but you can't force it to work because, as I say, you can mm. configure the servers not to pass that information. Yeah, on. you can f- configure the servers not to pass on that for information. And there's also, with any of these things which directly identify an end user, there's all the different privacy concerns about it. So... You know, you're sending out a request for a website or whatever, and it attaches basically who you are to the end of it. Google's proposal has taken that sort of thing into account, and they uh, they would strongly encourage the DNS resolvers to truncate the addresses who make them not, you know, identifiable to take care of the privacy concerns, or at least, you know, to abate the privacy concerns of the users there. But it goes to the same thing as what you're saying. It is up to the the DNS, the, the people who run the DNS resolver to actually implement that sort of thing. They could very well just accept the entire IP address and pass it on and privacy be damned. So if you were in China and you were looking up a, you know, something on Chinese freedom or something like that, and the DNS resolver in China was not truncating the things, then the people running the resolver and the Chinese government or whoever would be able to instantly know who the person was who was looking at something that you didn't want them to look at. Yeah, although in that example, if, if that's a website, once you've your computer's resolved the address for it and you actually go to it, well, I mean, it's the same thing. You've, you've been yeah, there. yeah there, there is that sort of thing. I, what I found the most interesting about this whole thing is this is like a first step internet draft or you know, working documents. They're not even an RFC. It hasn't gotten to that level yet. So it's way, way early in their uh, proposal. What I thought was most interesting was the the comment by um, Paul Vixie, the you know original author of Bind DNS, on what he has. And, and, and anybody who's read anything by Paul knows he's quite he has his opinions. 
<laughs> but his message um, in response to this uh, Google proposal, I thought was quite interesting in this thing. And his, and his response is, if we're going to add client identity to the query, can we do so in a more general way? I'd like to know the latitude and longitude, the country, ISP language, and whether or not the person's an adult or a child. (laughs) Yeah. What color eyes? (laughs) What color eyes? All those sorts of things. Yeah. Hide. (laughs) And yeah, it's it's definitely got its good points for optimizing the the, the traffic, trying to get rid of some of that congestion. So the needless waste of bandwidth for stuff, you know, going across continents, which really could have been handled by something locally. But how much of that is because the DNS systems, you know, the people connecting the DNS systems to each other are not really thinking very well about their connections because your DNS resolver that you're using theoretically should be relatively local to you. Yeah, in theory it should be. Yeah, 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 I know what you're saying. Like my ISP, the, the DNS resolver for my ISP that goes and queries, you know, other sites for me, yeah, should be more, you know, fairly close to me. Yes, it should be relatively local. So one of the examples that they were giving was a an ISP in California, uh, no, a client in California and a client in the Netherlands who were both using a New York-based DNS yeah, server. Yeah, now why would they be? That's the question. Why would they yeah, be? Exactly. That was the thing. It was like, I read that example and was going, well, that's that's interesting, but why would they be? Why would the 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 Dutch client not be using a DNS server which was local to them. Why would they be sending their traffic all the way to New York? Because that in its in and of itself is a complete waste of bandwidth. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. Exactly. Why would you have done that to begin with? <laughs> what of what is this trying to solve? What is this proposal trying to solve? And could it not be solved in a much better, more general way? So really, just going back to your comment about the the people in different countries using the same DNS resolver, this is it. it Kind of seems to me that it's a a solution for a problem that really won't solve the solution. Yeah, because if you're already using a DNS resolver that's far away from you, then I mean, how's yeah? You're already (laughs) you're um, you're already going across the world. Yeah, it's it's not changing anything about the bandwidth that you're using. It's, and, and it's fact, not changing like, the client's yeah. bandwidth. It's changing the bandwidth of the the resolver itself. But it's it's not actually fixing the problem. Well, actually, <laughs> you could you could argue that you know the traffic to DNS is fairly light compared to the traffic that's done to the host once you've resolved it. So, if I'm looking up a website www.example.com my computer will try and resolve example.com. That's only a few bytes to resolve it. Mm. When I actually go to that site and I bring down all this material, that's a whole bunch of kilobytes and maybe megabytes. So you could yep. argue that actually, although these people, you know, in the example you gave, the people using a DNS resolver that's far away from them, which is kind of unusual, you could argue that, sure, that traffic is going around the world, but it's not a lot of traffic and, and it's only done it's only done once for that site and then it's remembered. Mm-hmm. And then when you go and actually traffic the site, if you like, and you know, connect your, you know, when your web browser makes the request or whatever it is, that's really the gain. You know, that's where you get your gains. True. Very true. Either way, I, yeah, I'm, it's, uh, yeah, I, I know where Google's coming from. But yes, I did, I, I do agree with you about the examples kind of where, like, just going right back to basics, why would you, in the first place, be using a DNS resolver that's far away? Anyway, that's that. 
<laughs> okay. So, <laughs> something else to talk about is uh, a new way of trying to beat spam. And what they've, yes. what, yeah, what they, this is interesting. What they've done is they basically used a previously captured bot and released it on onto this lab, and they've observed the emails gener- the spam emails generated from this bot, the spam bot, and they've analysed it in such a way that they think they 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 can get back to the template that's that the spam bot is using to generate the spam. And why is this useful? Well, knowing the template means that you can block spam from, from that spam bot. Once you know yeah. the template, you can basically block all variations yeah, cause of the... Um, yeah, all sophisticated spam bots now, as you say, they, they use templates. They'll have a, a form... Well, they'll have the base email that they want to spam out, and then they'll have a template which says what parts of the email and how often in what range need to be changed to beat a spam filter. So that's like when you... You know, it, it says Viagra, but the I and the the I has been turned into a one, and there's a gap between the one and the A, and all those sorts of things to try and beat the spam filters. You know, captures. And yeah, what they've done is being able to reverse engineer, capture those different kinds of spam that are being generated, work out what that template is, what parts of the message are being changed, and from that feed that information into your spam filter and teach it the entire spectrum of changes that that message could have. And they've come up with, I thought it was remarkable, 100% in their test, uh, 100% block. Yeah, but you know what's more remarkable is that they've had 0% false positives. And that's actually the the biggest gain. That is the biggest gain. It's not that you've got 100% block on it, it's that you're not filtering out legitimate email. Yeah, you can achieve a close to 100% hit rate at the moment with the existing solutions. But mm. the closer you get to 100, the much bigger your false positives. Yeah, because you're blocking any, yeah, to, to get that 100%, you'd be blocking every kind of variation of certain words and, well, <laughs> any legitimate email that came through with those words in it would get blocked out as well. Yeah, so this is a nice new way of thinking about the way we, we combat spam. I don't know that the spam problem is going to go any, away anytime soon, though. No, because it's the same thing, you know, mouse and mousetrap. <laughs> the the instant you build a better mousetrap, they build a better mouse. Mm, one with a helmet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, what are the guys at MP3 doing? Have you seen the, they've released a new deluxe file format? Music DNA? Yeah. Yep, Music DNA, a, a, a single file format which contains not only the music, but also video, lyrics, artwork, dynamic links to internet content. It's, it's quite cool. It seems to be. The, the bit that, I don't know why I'm getting a bit jittery about this whole thing, but it's got dynam- it sort of dynamically updates. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I like that. Having what you expect to be your file sitting on your computer and then you load it up and suddenly it changes. <laughs> it's going to play havoc with any of those search indexes which go based on the, you know, the footprint of the file. Yeah, that's a point. Imagine my time machine backups. In, indeed, imagine your time machine backups. The whole music collection would, well, actually, to be fair, it only updates when you load up the file and only mm. if there is something to be updated. I guess so. We have to put this in perspective, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, the, the bit I'm, I'm I'm a bit funny about these, you know, this automatically updating thing. I mean, it's a file on my computer. Why should someone else be able to update that? 
Well, that that does lead to a really good question there. Does that mean this file that you've purchased that's in Music DNA that you've got on your computer because you've purchased it and then the content creator who owns it suddenly decides, wait a minute, we don't want that video to be released. We don't want that video out there anymore. Can they go through and can they update all of the Music DNA files for all the people who've bought it to remove the video or remove the lyrics or... Imagine the old, older days where you'd have the first, the first print of CDs would come out and there'd be a, a glitch in the artwork of the, the cover. Glitch in the cover artwork, especially for you know, LPs in the, back in the olden days. There would be those first runs which would have a glitch and they would become collector's editions later yeah, on. That'd be worth a, 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 a collector's item for the glitch. And they do the first, you know, the first release of this and you've got your music DNA and it includes the glitched cover art, and you go, ah, it's got the, the, the funny glitch in it. But then they change it, <laughs> and they, it updates yeah. on yours, and suddenly you've got the new, the new cover art. Yeah, they can And you're it. like, what happened to the, the one with the cool glitch in it? I thought that's, that, that's what well, I bought. It was no. mine. I bought it. Yeah. They've taken it. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, it's that whole dynamic thing with you not being able to control what you've purchased. I think that what you're getting at there is something to be just pondered about. I'm done with the story. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> yes, it's a it's a very cool idea. It, They've got some indie companies and some smaller of the comp- um, recording companies uh, on the board. Um, yeah, no majors though. But none of the majors. No, no. the no, big ones have not. That could take, that could take time. Oh, that could take ages. <laughs> Indeed, how long has it taken them to to jump onto any sort of a digital file format for their stuff? And well, have, yeah, these, exactly. have these digital files which contain all of this information about the, the music that's up there. It took them a but while. Of course, they can yeah. charge more for it. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. So you can expect to pay more than your 99 cents for a, for a track. Indeed. And I think people quite like being able to just pay 99 cents and tell, tell just one, have music. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a niche for it. There's definitely a niche for it because there will be people out there who want to get that that more, you know, more for it. If the the single, you know, there's an artist you like and they've got a, a single that you really like and the single has a music video, a lot of people like to get the music videos. You have to watch those. You might get those on a special yeah, so edition. It's, it's nice to have it on the one yes, file. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what they've done really well is that they've actually future-proofed it quite well. It, it can handle up to 30 gigs of data. So mm. then they're not limiting themselves and having to release another version of it and you know how that happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although maybe in 10 years' time, people listening to this podcast and some archive will be laughing at me saying, oh, it handles up to 32 gig. <laughs> That's the smallest type of file you have these days now. <laughs> oh, you're thinking you're going to be the, the, the new Bill Gates acronym. Nobody will ever more need more than what sixty four. <laughs> yeah, I'm just well. I'm, yeah, I'm aware, exactly. I'm aware of that, and that's why I'm trying not to, you know, not to fall into the same trap. <laughs> All right, now Internet Explorer is having a few problems again. Indeed, security firm has found another new set of vulnerabilities, but once again, for Internet Explorer's previous versions, which are still hanging around. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Microsoft has been out there saying, yes, (laughs) people, please upgrade to Internet Explorer 8. It is much more secure than the other versions of it that you keep choosing. (laughs) And and it's free. And it's free. Just like all the other better browsers. Yep. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, they're having a bit of a bad run at the moment. And the thing they is, are. You, it's, I, the, it's, oh, it's those previous versions just hanging around like a bad smell and, and giving Microsoft a very bad time. Yeah, look, I'm I'm not disagreeing that you know people really should be updating. They should be up, you know, keeping up with the with the the latest versions that are more secure. Absolutely, <clears throat> but uh, you know, it's also true that this is making Microsoft look pretty bad. I mean, people, especially you know, we know about the fact that it's a certain version and, and that it, you know the most recent version is immune to this and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But your average punter in the street that sees these stories, like you know, Internet Explorer has has flaws. You know, I mean, it's it looks bad for Microsoft. It does. It does indeed. But yeah, it it does get back to those people who just are not considering those sorts of things. It's you don't connect a computer to the internet without having antivirus. If you do, you're taking you know the computer and your you know, your computer health into your own hands, and you don't install antivirus and then expect that to work forever. You've got to make sure you continuously you know apply the updates. <laughs> to your antivirus. It's the same thing with basically any piece of software that you put on your computer. Don't think that you can install one piece of software today and it's going to be perfectly great not provide any sort of security holes and work bug-free in a week's time. You should always be keeping an eye on those the, the updates available for the software that you use. Now that you've said this, there's going to be a bunch of people going in the stores tomorrow saying, there's some guys from the boys of tech. They told me I should be updating my software. And <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And you should be. <laughs> Absolutely. I think most of our listeners probably know that. Hopefully, if, well, if they don't, well, here you go. You should yep. be updating. Uh, and now, it's not like Microsoft makes it hard. Sorry? It's not like Microsoft makes it hard to no, do updates. No, exactly. There's an auto-update thing. It's exactly. very easy. Very nice. Uh, TV ads may eventually get quieter. Tell, tell us why, Brett. Well, I think everybody who's ever had a television will have had those frustrating moments where you've been watching a movie that's quite soft or quiet and then it's cut to a commercial and then you're blasted with this huge volume of the ads and then suddenly you go back to your very quiet TV show. And you may have turned up the volume for your TV show and then had to turn it down for the ads and then well, turn yeah, it back you get, up. You get TV shouted show. at. Absolutely. You get shouted at. And it's always been difficult for the, the broadcasters to be able to check and moderate those volumes for there. And there's been lots of you know theories around the fact that advertisers purposefully make sure that their ads are louder than the TV shows, loud to get out there. Yeah, well, um, the thing is, they, they do. What they do is they use dynamic compression. Now, it's actually something we use in this pod, in this very podcast, and in fact, most good quality podcasts use that. Radio uses it. Yep. In fact, even standard television uses it. They just use it a lot more in advertising. And what, they, yep. what it is, is, uh, you know, the, the volume of, a, of a, a piece of audio is constantly fluctuating up and down, kind of like a wave. And they achieve a louder sound without actually going over the maximum simply by pushing up, you know, increasing the volume of the softer bits. Yep. And it, it, to your ear, it sounds louder, even though technically none of the peaks have gone any higher. Yes. Yeah. In simple terms. That's the best way I can describe it in yep. simple terms. And we do and the same with this podcast. And the reason we do this, in case you're wondering, 
is not to make Brent and myself sound louder. It's so that when you're listening to this podcast in a, an environment where there's ambient noise on the train, on the bus, uh, walking around town and so on, or in the car, that you can hear everything we're saying. And if, mm. if we didn't do this, you'd actually, you'd only be able to sort of catch every second word, you know, the words that are emphasized. Yeah. But yeah, c- coming back to these ads, yeah, they do that by dynamic compression. And so what we have now is the International Telecommunications Union has endorsed a standard for measuring audio volumes to ensure that advertisements and uh, programs are, you know, advertisements are not coming across as louder than the programs that they're interrupting. As, as heard by the human ear. As heard by the human ear. Look, this is something that people have been moaning about for a long time now. A long time. Possibly since ads existed on television. Probably. Which I believe was when television existed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's actually a little bit like the loudness wars as well. You know, these days you buy a CD of, you know, talking sort of pop music here, although actually it mm-hmm. goes across a lot of genres now, uh, but particularly pop music. You buy a CD these days and it's, it's mastered in terms of volume right up to the max. And in fact, in some of them, they, they actually clip the audio. It's clipped. It's distorted. It's terrible. Yeah. For those of you interested in this, have a look at Loudness Wars on Wikipedia. It gives you a good, uh, not that everything on Wikipedia can be believed, but it gives you a good background as to what the Loudness Wars are all about. And it, it all goes back to, I think, I think the early 80s where you know, there was this fight to be the loudest, you know, to, to master louder than the, the other track, especially on compilations. You, know, you, you don't want to be the, the soft track mm. on a compilation uh, disc, you know, a compilation CD compared to the other tracks and so you master slightly louder and over the years over the last you know two or three decades it's just got louder and louder and louder mm. anyway <laughs> there you go <laughs> that was a lot more technical than than i was intending but hey it's fun <laughs> indeed so what we got out of this one is there's now a an endorsed standard for making sure that ads are not louder than the tv shows and Hopefully now different broadcasters will actually follow these standards. Well, yeah, that's the next thing. Yeah, are they going mm. to follow? And uh, yeah, but at least there is something to follow and that's the, yes. first, that's the first step. That is the first step. And, you know, leading on through to New Zealand's news in this is that TVNZ, um, Television New Zealand, has said that it is highly likely that it will adopt these standards. Great. Well, that's a great segue into the New Zealand stories, which we'll do after the break. So stick around. Don't go away. Welcome back. Now, apart from the fact that TVNZ, as Brett said just before the break, is going to adopt the standards by the ITU so that ads won't sound louder on TV. Apart from that, uh, the other (laughs) big New Zealand story is that, well, the Telecom XT network went down once again. (laughs) They're not having a good time of it, does Telecom. Their, Their XT network has had a bashing. They spent so much time and money and hard work on making their XT brand premiere and (laughs) things have just decided to dump all over it. It's not a good look. I mean, to have... Not a good look (laughs) at all. (laughs) I mean, it's almost half the country, almost half the country was out for an extended period of time. It's an incredibly extended period of time. I, they must be popping the champagne at, at Vodafone. Yeah. Yes, yes. They're probably having an XT party. 
Probably. Love to know what goes this, on behind closed will, doors. This will definitely have impacted more than just telecom share price, which did decrease. But <laughs> it it'll definitely have stopped some of those people who would have switched to the XD network. They will now be taking, you know, a second think about whether or not the XT network is as reliable as they were led to believe and perhaps sticking with what they've currently got. Well, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, you know, okay, technology fails. We know that. Uh, but it, it, to yeah. have one major failure is pretty bad. It does happen, but it's pretty bad. Yeah. To have two well, expect, within a month. People expect there to be teething problems with a new, with a new anything. Um, technology related. So most people who were switching to XT would have expected there to be a few teething problems, but not this many and of this magnitude, yeah. yes. It's, it's, we're not just talking about a local localised outage. We're talking, you know, south of Taupo. Brett, this is looking pretty bad for telecom, isn't it? Yeah, incredibly bad, seeing as up to two days later, there were still 30-odd cell sites in the lower South Island who were still out. So it was a hardware failure, I understand, wasn't it? Yes. To get the exact reason for it, they're um, doing an extensive investigation, as you would expect. But it's suspected to have been within a the, the transport bet- transport layer between the cell sites and the switch in Christchurch. But to take out half the country is incredible. Yes. <laughs> you can- Does redundancy not mean anything to telecom? Boy, Obviously, whatever went wrong went wrong in whatever redundancy they might have had as well. That's if they had it. I mean, that's the, yeah, yeah, true. But, yeah, can't really speculate on what sort of hardware sort of redundancy they might have occurred there. But yeah, if they had any, it went where it went away as well. Teresa Gatting's probably thinking, "Oh, thank God, I left." <laughs> yes, she probably is. <laughs> oh. Dear, oh dear. No, a lot of businesses, a lot of people will be very, very upset and telecom still hasn't come out with what their compensation is going to be for people affected by this outage. They're still focused on finding what exactly it was that caused all of this chaos and making sure it doesn't happen again (laughs) before they get onto the compo and the what they have to do to rebuild the XT name, the XT image. Yeah, well, actually, that that you, what you just said then is really important. I mean, the whole image of XT has now been tarnished, so they it have to has. rebuild that brand that will trust in that brand. They do, and they've got to come up with some pretty good groveling things for their current customers to make sure they you know, stay because this sort of thing for this duration, and, and we're not talking about a part of the country which doesn't do anything. We're not talking about the, the, the back country where to lose cell service might not be quite so bad, though even then it would be shocking to lose cell service coverage in those areas. We're talking about major business centres and we're talking about some pretty important events which were happening, like the New Zealand Masters Games, happening during the time when the outage was. And so you have all of these people who are on an XT network, businesses running at these events and um, doing their daily work, who suddenly can't. <laughs> A nightmare. Are you, are you on Telecom XT? Uh, no. No, I'm not. What are, you, what are you on, Vodafone? Yep. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, this, uh, yeah, I'm glad I don't work for telecom, but look, it can happen to anyone and, you know. It can to, indeed. It could happen to Vodafone. 
it could happen to Vodafone. And you would hope that Vodafone is not just sitting back smugly, but is going, oh, we've got redundancy in all our systems, right? That sort of thing couldn't happen to us. <laughs> Absolutely. Then, That's what, they should be Vodafone's checking their own Vodafone's been around backyard. for quite some time. Yeah. yeah. And they've got some, you know, their systems have gone through some pretty rigorous proving <laughs> for their reliability. And XT being, it, it's all new hardware. It's all new stuff in there. So you'd, uh, yeah, a catastrophe of this magnitude is just really, really bad. And they should ha- there should have been something. Surely they had some sort of redundancy system in there or, you know, something to mitigate something happening on this level. It just... Oh. One of the biggest hits I think... <laughs> it boggles the, the, the mind. One of the biggest hits I think they're going to take are the new customers because right now the people in the market for a mobile phone are going to be uh, looking yeah. at, uh, we've got the Telecom XT network, which works apparently <laughs> yeah, works some of the time, or Vodafone, or Two Degrees. <laughs> it's, who are you going to go with? It's <laughs> You're really going to be thinking whether or not you need to switch to XT, or stick with your current provider, or if you're new and want to get a provider, you're really, really going to lean not towards XT after this sort of debacle. They're gonna. It'll be interesting to see what they do to try and claw back some of the image for their XT brand. Yeah, well, all I can say is good luck to them because they'll need it. And that's our show. That's it. Episode fifty-one, all done. Excellent. Packaged up in a nice little MP3 or AAC, depending on which podcast version you're listening to. And actually, just while I think about it, don't forget to check out our website at boysoftech.com. If you've got any comments to leave, you can leave them there. You don't have to log in or anything. boysoftech.com and uh, leave a comment there. And I think that's all from me. And all from me too. Right, in that case, Brett. Can't wait for the iPad Generation 3. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, look, I'm... (laughs) I'm not going to go down that road. <laughs> but yes, I, yeah, I, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Brett, thank you very much for co-hosting the show with me. It's been a pleasure. No problem. And uh, thank you very much to everyone at home listening to us on the net, on their iPod or on their iPad, perhaps. Perhaps you're listening to me uh, to us on an iPad. Possible. Well, it is possible. You'd have to be from the future. When are they, when <laughs> so are they actually released? you'd have to be from yeah. the future if you've got an iPad to listen to this on. Yeah, okay. That's good. <laughs> They're not available or one yet. of the select few in, in Apple who possibly have them already. Someone in Apple might be listening. Maybe Steve's listening. Oh, hopefully. Put a webcam in it. Yeah, Steve, give us a webcam, okay? Thank you. Right, that's <laughs> it. Thank you very much. See you all again next week for episode 52. Take care. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.